0: Recently, I had an event in New York City. I had hundreds of people come, and I brought actual real couples up on stage and did a mini podcast right there in front of everyone. It was awesome, and I'm very pleased to announce that I'm doing two more events. I want to let you know about it before anyone else knows. June 1st, I'm going to be in Philadelphia. June 4th, in Boston. If you want tickets, you can get them at iwt.com philly and IWT.com slash Boston. Between now and May 3rd, you can use the pre-sale code Life to get tickets. Again, June 1st, I'll see you in Philly, and June 4th in Boston, IWT.com slash Philly, and IWT.com slash Boston. You know, money doesn't have to be boring. I get a lot of questions of people who have set up their accounts, who have money being saved, and they're like, what now? What's next? How am I supposed to design my rich life? That is why I created the journal. The journal is something you can do either on your own or with a partner. Imagine yourself 15 minutes in the morning, you have a cup of steaming tea, and you're sitting down following the prompts that help you envision what your rich life is. What's your perfect week? What's your perfect month, year? This journal is designed as a no-numbers journal. It's not technical, but it's going to help you understand what you truly value and also what you don't care about. I recommend you pick up a copy of this journal. You can do it solo or with a partner and it will help you design your rich life. Get it at any bookstore
1: now. It's not that I'm opposed to donating to this charity. It's that we were signed up to donate to this charity without being asked. I was very confused by it.
2: it felt like It was being pulled out of our own pockets and it wasn't appreciated as like a gesture that we were making.
0: Imagine that you're married and you and your partner working on your finances, planning out your rich life, and suddenly you get a phone call from your parents and they say, we need you to send over $3,000. You say, what? For what? So, you know, we have this donation we need to make or this home repair we need to do. Go ahead and send the money over. And you send it, and then two months later, you get another phone call, and another. And you don't know how much it's gonna be, and you don't know when that call is coming, but you know that you're expected to help your parents out. In today's episode, we're gonna talk to Barry and Maria, who are struggling with how to handle money around Barry's parents, who have these sort of expectations. Now, before we start, It's important for me to say that culture affects money. For example, in Indian culture, many parents strongly encourage their kids to become doctors or engineers. They also spend huge amounts on their daughter's weddings. If you grew up in America without understanding the cultural reasons for these beliefs, you might think they're ridiculous. You might even go on Reddit and leave some tone deaf comment about how you should just choose to do whatever you want which is in and of itself, an individualistic Western-centric view. Culture affects money. So today, when I speak with Barry and Maria, a Pakistani couple in their 20s, I wanna show you how culture can result in some unexpected and often tricky financial situations. Now, Barry and Maria are married and have a household income of $275,000. Barry is a first generation immigrant. He was born in Pakistan, now lives in the US, whereas Maria was born and raised in America. And even though they're both Pakistani, his parents' expectations are very different than hers. They expect him to pay for lots of things, often on short notice. Again, what if you got a call from your parents every few months, but you wouldn't know when, and they asked you to write him a check for $1,000? Or maybe $3,000, what would you do? How would your partner react? And what would you start to feel as this happened over and over and over again?
1: A few months ago, Barry's mom's birthday was coming around. And so we were discussing what to get her and Barry's siblings wanted to do a joint gift. Typically, Barry and his brother, because Barry's siblings are younger and and don't work, the, the two brothers will split the, the cost of the gift. Let's say the gift was $200. They would cover it completely and do it on behalf of the whole siblings. But this time around, Barry's brother suggested that since Barry and I both work. We should split the gift in thirds. Each of us, because the three of us are earning, will contribute equally instead of just the two brothers. It wasn't really about the cost of the gift, the actual monetary piece of the gift. It was more so just on principle. that I didn't agree with the idea that since we're married and we have two incomes, we're not like one Unit of the family. Like the way I viewed it was that there are four siblings, and I am one of the siblings' wife. So my share is my husband's share. We ended up going with the three way split because it was just not worth fighting it, if you want to call it that, even though not fighting. Moving forward, when Things are more expensive, not like a birthday gift, which is a smaller expense when we move into the future and things are more expensive. Like, how do we distribute responsibilities for his family financially? Is it like, how will that work in our relationship?
0: Barry, how do you see this gift situation? What happened from your perspective?
2: It's definitely a difficult position to be in. Maria's perspective; they see where she's coming from, and we also actually surveyed some of our more traditional friends that that come from similar backgrounds, and some of them resonated with Maria's perspective on this as well. But on the flip side, on my brother's perspective, I had a tough time figuring out how to come up with a logical reason why we shouldn't go three ways. Everything just came across as being maybe stingy, maybe making up rules that are not grounded in, again, logic. So it was definitely a bit of an awkward situation to be placed in. And as Maria had mentioned, we ended up going with the three-way split just because the, the cost wasn't so high that it really mattered. And also because we just didn't want to cause any further issues. Like we just wanted to get past it. But the fundamental issue is still there. And it's something that we'll probably have to deal with in the future as well. So this is just sweeping it under the rug. And it may play out in the future in more significant terms. Okay, if this were just a one-off gift
0: question, we could solve it. But you can hear from their voices that there's something much deeper here a sense of expectation, a sense of some cultural beliefs here. And rather than jump right to solutions, I want to make sure that I understand exactly what's going on. I want to dig a little deeper here.
2: Dinners, I'm happy to pay for them. There's been certain moments though in the past where uh, it's been very embarrassing for me, where there were situations like Maria's parents came to visit uh, my parents on the East Coast, and we were having dinner out. And my dad got the check, and then he handed it over to me. And uh, I don't know, in his perspective, he may have just been proud that his son's able to cover the bill. But I, it definitely did not look great in front of uh, Maria's parents, who would I think that's a very odd thing to do.
1: I think the actually the first time this came up between us was around a request for charity donation. It's always tough and it makes you feel like an awful person. It's not that I'm opposed to donating to this charity, it's that I was the we were signed up to donate to this charity without being asked of that, just being assumed that we will donate. It's a very tough conversation and one at that time that I that we didn't really address properly because it's hard to not look like just a, a bad person <laughs> when you're disputing something like that and The fact that we do well financially obviously plays into that because there's an assumption that we can afford certain things, which I'm not denying. It leaves us in a very uncomfortable position.
2: Frankly speaking, that was the most contentious of all of them was the donation piece. It's increasingly complicated by the fact that there was a lot of peer pressure involved in it as well. So my uh, dad was raising some money for a, a certain project back in the village that I was born in. My cousins and my brother had all pitched in. He convinced them all to pitch in. And it, it wasn't a small amount that he was asking for from my family. And I think it was like 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, for, for us at the time, that was seemed like quite a bit. It, when it's out of the blue and it feels like you're being forced to give it right. If it was something that we had decided upon, that's different. The cousins and, and brother had paid up, would have made it look very bad if we didn't pay up. Uh, and so we were cornered in that sort of a situation. And that caused a lot of issues because it was very unexpected for Maria. And I still, to this day, I, I don't know if I know of any way that I could have gotten out of that.
1: This was the first time even between friends who come from like more traditional bringings that I had seen just like an expectation that was so no discussion around it. And so for me, that was very tough to see. It was early in our marriage and we are joint in our finances. Like we, everything is together. And so for me, very early on, it was just a very big, I was very confused by
2: it. Yeah, I think both of us were happy to do, but on our own terms and the fact that it felt like It was being pulled out of our own pockets and it wasn't appreciated as like a gesture that we were making. And the resentment actually did come out. I mean, I had a kind of an angry conversation afterwards, after we had made the donation, which isn't the ideal outcome of this. Mary, have you ever said no to your parents? Yes, when it comes to things like marriage proposals from other uh, daughters and other families and stuff which is like a very common part of our culture growing up like things like that where there's an expectation that yeah it's fine you're not always going to say yes something like that but i think when it comes to monetary asks it's much harder i don't think i've said no to those Mm
1: -hmm. i agree Barry has been very generous and has never said no to any request in the time that i've known him If you're
0: listening, it's tempting to just say, what's the problem? Just tell them no. But it's not that simple. For people who grew up here in America, that's like me telling you that buying a house might actually not be a very good investment. You know why people get so mad when I point that out? Because they've been raised with that belief for generations. Now it's almost religion to them. Here in this conversation with Barry and Maria, We have deep cultural expectations that might seem illogical or even ridiculous to you. But the fact is, they're real. They exist. Now, we can have a bunch of Redditors sitting here with their half-stale Safeway bagels dripping out of their mouth, posting on Reddit, that's so dumb, just tell them no. But culture matters. It matters to you, even though you may not be aware of some of the deep cultural beliefs that you exist in, that you grew up with. And it certainly matters to Barry. In Pakistani culture, the parent-child dynamic is totally different than what most people grew up with here. I get this because Indian culture shares some of those same expectations, especially for the oldest son. This sense of obligation that Maria and Barry are talking about is really common. It's in movies, it's on billboards, it is real. So let's practice something I call the D to C principle. From disparagement to curiosity. Instead of saying, that's ridiculous. Let's get curious. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind-the-scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa-making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I used Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews. So you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. T samples with my link, peaklife.com slash Ramit. That's P I Q U E L I F E dot com slash Ramit. R A M I T.
2: Hey, there's a very different dynamic when it comes to how we are expected to treat our parents and family as a married couple. Maria and I come from similar sort of cultural backgrounds, but the way we were raised was very different. Our parents are immigrants. That's the similarity there. But from there, there's really not much else commonality. Maria's parents are white collar professionals, CTO doctor, CTO dad, doctor mom. My parents, blue collar worker, my dad was. Uh, my mom was a housewife throughout my entire childhood. And so I grew up in an underserved household. that We barely made ends meet. My parents still aren't doing well. And the imminent sort of threat here that could potentially bring up this like fundamental disagreement that we had around the, the split may play out in how we deal with how we're meant to treat our parents and potentially take care of our parents moving forward. Maria's parents are very different in the sense that they have always been incredibly hands off. They, they don't like the idea of their uh, children spending on them at all. Like they, they cover everything. My parents are different. When I started interning, there was like a NASA base nearby, and it was a great internship to land in high school, but I really didn't save much money from it because it would be going from my bank account to my parents, uh, sometimes without even me, me knowing. And over time, that stopped like the whole taking money from my bank account stopped as it became more independent. But the expectation was always that the child is meant to give back to their parents for providing for them as they were being raised up. And I I have a feeling this is going to be something we're going to have to deal with in the future. And, And so, yeah, it's definitely something that weighs on my mind. And we're hoping to get on the same page about how to deal with it. It's easy if you're raised here to say, what do you mean, send money to your
0: parents? That doesn't make any sense. They made their decisions. Now they have to live with it. But for people who were raised in Pakistan or, or my parents being from India, yeah, there's a whole different cultural conception that is not written anywhere on paper, but we all just get it. We get it. The challenge, of course, is that you both live in the States, and you both are coming to the table with different backgrounds, even though your parents are both from the same country,
1: totally different perspectives. I completely understand the obligation and expectations. I think in, in that sense, we do have the understanding because we like both grew up in that culture. I think where Barry was mentioning that my parents have never had any expectation of their children providing for them. I think a lot of that comes because from this cultural expectation of sons versus daughters in like Pakistani culture. I'm not saying this is what I believe. This is traditionally what is believed is that daughters will will get married and then go to their in-laws and they're not expected to provide for their parents because they get married and, and go to their in-laws, whereas sons of the family often are expected to take care of their parents. And so my dad did the same. I grew up with both my grandparents living with us for that exact reason, because my dad um, was the the, the only son of the family. And so they lived with us. They grew up with us. And so I'm very familiar with the expectation. It was just not something that I had to deal with growing up because we were only daughters and because my parents, as Barry alluded to, are financially well off where they don't um, need that kind of support.
0: It's one thing to be generous with parents or in-laws. And and I'm, I'm hearing from both of you that you're both comfortable giving money. That doesn't seem to be the issue. It's not that it's an affordability issue for you. You're both doing very well in your mid-20s. Your household income is around $275,000, which is great. But of course, the ambiguity of it is uncomfortable. Because it could be a $25 dinner, or it could be a $250,000 house. And that is... That's uncomfortable. And and what are the rules of this engagement? What are the rules of engagement? This is a really important question for your money. You know, when you're starting out with your money, you face a million different decisions. Should I open a Roth IRA? Are these 401k options good? Can I afford this car? And over time, you do not wanna be thinking about these types of questions. When you get really advanced with your money, you wanna develop a few simple rules that allow you to easily make decisions on the thousands and thousands of financial choices you face every year. If you wanna see mine, you can Google Ramit's 10 money rules and see the ones that I created for myself. When I'm asking for their rules of engagement, it's even more complicated because it involves their culture. And with culture, there are very strong rules, but they're never actually written out, yet somehow, You're expected to follow them. Let me give you a simple example. Think about the unwritten rules on social media. Do you know what they are? For example, you're allowed to share a picture at the beach, but you're not allowed to tag the hotel if it's really expensive. That's too gaudy. You can post a new car if it's a mid-priced car or if it's a Tesla, but if you post a picture of your BMW, ah, that's a little too much. You're a show-off. Think of all the other invisible rules around social media. Now think about Pakistani culture. You're responsible for your family's finances if you're the son. Which family? How much? For how long? Well, that's never really said. It's never really written down. But it's still a real belief. It exists in movies, in passed down stories, and in little phrases you've heard your entire life. What I'm asking here is to clarify the rules, because once we can see them, then we can start to decide if we actually want to follow them.
2: I was the first person in my family to go to college and graduate, and it, their expectations for what their life might look like look is extremely different. My cousins very much have this, this blueprint, maybe graduate from high school, and then from there they work in blue-collar jobs, they might paint bridges here and in, in New York City, and they have their parents live with them. And then they have this very large family home where they are taking care of not only their immediate family, but also their parents and they live happily ever after. And for Maria and I, the life we envision is very different. We're much more focused on building our relationship together, having that sort of level of autonomy. We uh, fortunately have the freedom of being much more ambitious and, and what we want to pursue in life. And so that's where the conflict comes in, is that I see in our community, growing up, I've seen how negatively it's been talked upon when somebody doesn't take care of their parents. It's something that is is very is a very bad mark to have it is being a bad son or or, or being a, somebody that sort of is selfish. I don't want to be in a position where I'm considered to be somebody that's a, a renegade. It's just uh, me and Maria, and I've abandoned my previous family and my parents. I hear these cultural issues and they're real. I get it.
0: You can't just dismiss them and say, that's dumb. Let's just not do that. My question to you is how seriously do you take these cultural issues? Some people will come and say, look, they're actually like, I don't want to be known as a renegade. And that is top of mind for me. And I'm actually willing to spend more money if that's what it takes. Totally respect that answer. On the other hand, we have people who say, no, it's not okay anymore. And I've changed my view living here, et cetera. Where would you say you fall on that?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say I'm growing more towards straying away from the ideologies that, the sort of dogma and, and and some of the ideologies that were ingrained in me growing up. The situation in my mind that plays out is in just a few years, my parents are Going to want to move away from their current home because all of their children are going to have left the nest within just a few months, and I think at that point, once they downsize, once they move somewhere more social, they're going to lose their sort of income stream. Right now, they are on a farm, very lonely, but it's their sort of sole income stream currently. So they're going to want to move into a community. I, you know, highly doubt my dad's going to want to work at that point. He'll be close to his sixties. And the sort of scenario that plays out from there is I think there, there may be um, a bit of pressure for us to take my parents in months at a time. And maybe they, they have a small place, but they would expect to spend primarily their time at their children's homes and me being one of the two sons. Spending a lot of time at our home, we would have kids at that point in the next three or four years. And uh, so I can imagine the dynamic being very messy. You just lose that sort of level of freedom that you might have if it's just the couple. And so I imagine that that would cause quite a bit of a strain in our relationship. It's uh, maybe you find some ways to create that separation. Worst case scenario, you buy him a place nearby so that there's like a separation of space. And, And do you think you could do that, Barry? I think I could, but I know there's going to be some battles that I would need to have to fight. It's, it would be an unconventional thing to do in my sort of broader family and how they've dealt with the situations. With that being said, I don't think many of them have had the amount of disposable income that maybe we might in a few years. And so that changes the situation a bit. But I do know that there's gonna have to be some convincing and some sort of justification that might need to happen from my end. I think personally, one of my weaknesses is that I can be a people pleaser sometimes.
0: We know, the first question I asked you, Barry, I asked you, what is your perspective? And did you catch what your answer was? You said, well, there's two ways to look at it. And here's Maria's perspective. And you gave me her perspective before yours. Yeah. And then the next thing was, have you ever told them no? A lot of words, but ultimately the answer is no. Yeah. So going from where you are today to being able to potentially tell them, what well, would love to have you close by, come visit a lot, even stay over sometimes, but here's a separate place for you. That is a really hard thing. That's like someone starting to go for a five-minute walk every day versus climbing Mount Everest. If you were to tell your parents they can't live with you today, how do you think they would take it?
2: I think they would probably think that I'm betraying them in some sort of way. Yeah,
0: I agree. Every parent, especially every mom, grows up saying, you know, you're going to take care of us, especially to the sons. And that's a real cultural issue. It's real, even though, again, it's never written anywhere. You'll never find it in a book or a spreadsheet, but it is still real. We could spend the next three hours talking about all these cultural issues, but without a vision, we're going to get lost in the weeds. So I'm going to zoom out and I want to establish what a rich life looks like for Barry and Maria. Then we'll take their issues and make them fit into their Rich Life vision. I get tons of email every single day and I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman and this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook and let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams, so my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. Next, I use keyboard shortcuts, unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email. U to market unread, S to star it, J or K to cycle through messages. I use keystrokes to schedule messages, like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question, but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature, which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash Ramit. That's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet and it collects information. It has sensors. The pod then uses that information to understand what you need to get better sleep. You can set it to heat up or cool down before you get into bed. It also adjusts while you sleep. And you can set it to change temperatures to gently wake you up in the morning. Best part, there are two zones. So if you run hot and your partner runs cold, you can each set your side of the bed to exactly how you want it. Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech Pod 3 cover. That's 8sleep.com E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T for a better, smarter sleep.
1: What would be an ideal scenario for me is we have our own home and we're able to live with just our like smaller family, but we're close enough to both my parents and his parents that we can see them on the weekends and we can spend quality time with them but just be able to have our own space when we go home.
2: I think we're pretty much aligned on that. I think I'm totally happy to live that sort of life.
1: My ideal scenario is where we can dictate what generosity looks like towards both of our parents, our siblings, and and any other people or charities in our life. I think that's, for me, the... The biggest thing I value is just financial freedom. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't come with generosity or caring for family. That's a value that we both deeply share. It's just having the optionality and not having the generosity come from expectation.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I still do think it's going to be a bit of an issue convincing them.
0: It's interesting. I've heard you use the word convincing twice. This is a common thing I hear with Indian guys, Pakistani guys, guys from Eastern cultures. And like I said, growing up, I had a cultural script that I was expected to follow as well. Go to college, become an engineer or a doctor, marry someone of my same culture, possibly religion, And take care of parents. You know the script. It's pretty much the same script you were raised with. And, you know, I broke a lot of that script. I changed my major. I'm definitely not a doctor or an engineer. And I I married outside of my culture and on and on and on. The ability to do that happened starting back in high school when I started making unconventional decisions. And I think that's generally pretty rare with a lot of my friends who I grew up with. Most of them actually did go on to become doctors or engineers or in tech, but it was little decision by little decision. So that by the time I decided I wanted to get married to my wife, convincing was not the question. I was not going to convince anybody. I was simply telling them, this is what I'm doing. I'd love for you to meet this person who I really, really like. And so what I would like to do is to paint a vision for you where you're not convincing your parents, but rather telling them with love what you can do. Remember, you're being generous. It sounds like you would be open to buying them a house or renting them a house. Financially, you're being very generous, regardless of culture. But there's a psychological approach to this. That is completely different. When you go in convincing, it's almost like you're down on your knees begging. If you were not allowed to convince, what would you go in saying? Play it out for me, role play it out for me.
2: I, I would say to my parents, I would say, look, the life that they've dreamed of having a community of like minded folks, people that they would appreciate spending time with, having a beautiful home living in a place with beautiful weather living close to their children we can make that happen it's something that absolutely like we, we can take care of them we can move them out to a community where they would find that find those friendships and find that sort of purpose and meaning but barry beta i plan to live with you hey that, that, that's a tough one I, I think uh why don't you ask maria for some advice Maria, I need a, I need a hotline here. I
1: think it's interesting, me that you mentioned that the... Not rebellion, but the independent decision-making started for you in high school too. I think that's, I would say, my independent decision-making started in college when I also dropped pre-med and decided to pursue business and did all these other things. And I think because of that, my parents ended up trusting my decision-making more and more over time and were fine when I ended up saying that I wanted to marry Barry, even though he wasn't from my community. The advice I would give to Barry is not actually as his wife, but, but as a, a third party, because I think one of the fears I have about giving too much advice in this scenario is that his parents might think that this perspective comes from me yeah. and not from him. That's, so that's something I'm very cautious of. And, and back to the earlier discussion we were having about like the three-way split, right? A lot of why I just felt silent is is not that I was silenced, but because I just didn't want to be the daughter-in-law that came in and changed things. And and that's just everyone's worst nightmare. And so I am very cautious of of being a silent advisor and not being like vocal in these scenarios, because I do think it's for Barry to have that discussion and for it not to come from his wife.
0: What Maria just said is quite masterful. Did you catch it? It took me years and years to learn, and I'm a little jealous that Maria just offhandedly and intuitively seems to understand it. Her big insight is this. She can't make Barry change. He has to own this one on his own. Not sure, she can support him, or like a lot of people, she could hypothetically get mad and force him to say something to his parents, but that wouldn't last, and she knows it. Real, lasting change has to come from within. I'll also note that Maria is very sensitive to Barry's parents thinking that she changed him when in reality, he has to own it so that he can speak confidently to his parents. Maria is playing three-dimensional chess here, and I am in
2: awe. We want to raise our kids in a place that has good weather, with good schools, and in a community where they're going to feel very supported on a day-to-day basis. And so we think that's going to be best facilitated in Los Angeles. And we would love for you to uh, come and live by us as well so that our children can grow up with their grandparents nearby. Los Angeles?
0: I don't think so. We are set here. We have our friends here. I know we need you to
2: stay here. Mom, Dad, you have no choice. Whoa. Zero to 60. Okay. 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 Wait, keep going. I like your approach. Maybe dial it back just slightly. Yeah. I I wouldn't have come at them that hard, but I think I I would say we're set on this life that we want to create for ourselves. And ultimately we're going to make these sacrifices for our kids. It's something we're already in agreement, upon. And I think. Okay. That's fine. But uh,
0: fine. I can come to Los Angeles. So where are we going to live? Are we going to have the top floor or
2: the entire bottom floor? So I think it's going to be best if we buy you an apartment nearby. And, apartment? Uh, we'll, Us? I, I think it's going to be best for everyone. You're going to have your own space to live your own lives. Uh, you're going to have your own own space to do whatever you want. And our lives it's gonna be are your kids.
0: Our lives are your kids and our kids. We don't have a life outside of that.
2: And you'll be able to see the kids whenever you want. We'll make sure we find a place that's within walking distance. We would love our kids to see you on a regular basis and to grow up with their grandparents nearby. First of all, how'd you feel saying that? I felt good. I I think there's like a... a, I I tipped over the point where I finally just embraced it. So I I felt good saying that. In terms of actual rhetoric that I used, I I think potentially it could be better. I think it was quite amazing that you
0: were able to articulate all those things. Coming from having never said no to being able to even articulate that is absolutely astonishing. Many of the people I've talked to who were raised in this culture, they can't even conceive of how they would say no. That's how deep it is. This is a hard conversation. Your parents are going to be flooded with emotion hearing this because they have a vision of their life. You are in their mind, destroying their vision of their life. No amount of words is going to take away from that. Would you be prepared for them to be unhappy with you?
2: It would hurt for sure. Yeah, it would work. It, it would hurt, but I, I think I would be able to do it. Okay. Yeah.
0: What do you think you need to do in order to go from where you are today to being able to have that level of conversation?
2: I think, like you said earlier, winning those small moments, and winning is the wrong word, but making it known in those smaller circumstances that we're not going to concede for certain things when they're at the risk or at the cost of the life that we want to have together, unless it's something that's trivial.
0: Give me an example. What is something where you have conceded in the past, but that you would not concede on in the future?
2: I think this three-way split potentially may have been a bit of a a concession that we made. You made, not Maria, you made it. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, I, yeah. So I think that could have been handled more. I could have put my foot down there. What would you have done? Just play it out to me. Say what you would have said to your brother. Look, this is, uh, I understand where you're coming from, but this isn't how we handle things when it comes to splitting expenses with a couple. Maria and myself, we're a single entity in in this regard. And we're going to do a 50-50 split. Actually, I I take that back. I would say Maria is an independent party here. She can contribute whatever she wants, but this specific gift split is going to be between you and I. So it's going to be a two-way split.
0: Wow. That's a big move. I love that. You took responsibility for yourself And it was about your decision, not Maria. She actually has nothing to do with this whatsoever. This is your parents, your family. And you stepped up and said, this is me. And I'm making this decision. A couple of other things I want to share that my wife and I do. These may or may not be helpful. These are fairly tactical. We set up some rules, some money rules. And one of the things I hear with the two of you telling me how this feels is it feels very reactive. Like at any given time, someone can be like, give me $10,000 or give me $100. And that doesn't feel good. So we take things into our control. I want to create the rules of my life. I don't want anyone else to create rules for my life every time. We get a charity request from somebody. We've already budgeted out how much we want to give to charity in a year. So guess what happens if somebody says, Hey, can you give us ten thousand dollars and let's just pretend we've already exhausted our charity donation for the year? What would we say to them? Sorry, can't do it this year. We've uh, exhausted our budget. Yeah, it's just simple, and it's not
2: you. Oh, Barry, you're so stingy! It's our plan. I think it's a great idea. My question, though, is how do you build a moat around that system that prevents people from questioning it? Why do you donate? only 10% per year. Why not 12%? Because that would take you to the amount that we need. What do you think the answer is? Yeah, I don't think you need to justify it. But also on the flip side, I don't know how you can just shut the conversation down. I'm actually not sure.
1: I would approach it as this is the amount that we can donate to charity because... We are saving other percentages for for kids in the future or for education or whatever purposes and and just leave it at that. We feel happy with the amount that we donate. We think it's generous and, and we choose our charities carefully.
0: Okay, that was good, but you just totally screwed yourself.
1: You gave
0: way too many details And if I am a skilled guilt tripper, I'm gonna pull on every single one of those threads until you are crying Mm -hmm. on the floor. Kids, oh, so you're having kids? Oh, you're not having kids? Why not? Two years from now, who knows what's gonna happen? You need an answer like a politician. Why are you doing this? To keep America safe. Okay, that's it. And by the way, I hate that answer from politicians, but what is the theory behind it? How can you argue with that? Give me an answer. Like that.
1: Because this is what works for our family right now.
0: Take the right now out of it.
1: This is what works for our family.
0: When Barry and Maria begin changing their responses to his family, it's going to be very uncomfortable. People do not react well when you change the dynamics of a relationship. And you know this if you've ever lost weight or you've gotten a new job where you got paid a lot more or if you've ever set down boundaries with your family. You know what I'm talking about. People do not like changing the dynamics of a relationship and they'll use any technique they can, even unconsciously, to get you back in a box that feels comfortable. This can mean guilt tripping, anger, gossip, Whatever they can pull to use to get you back in that box. Your job is not to plead with them or try to convince them. Your job is to anticipate these techniques. Acknowledge them by saying something like, I can see this upsets you. And then pivot right back to your key message. This is what works for our family. You ever feel like you're making money, but you don't know where it all goes? Well... For a lot of people, the answer is subscriptions. Think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, parenting apps, it's endless. And a lot of times we signed up for something months or even years ago and we don't remember. Now you could look them up all yourself and cancel them one by one. Or you can just try Rocket Money to help you find out what subscriptions you're actually spending money on and then they will cancel the ones you don't want anymore. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I don't have to get on my phone with customer service. They'll even try to get a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 per year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Ramit. That's rocketmoney.com slash Ramit. rocketmoney.com One of my money dials is generosity. For example, I love Tipping big. I love buying gifts and experiences for my family. And recently, I bought my parents a subscription to Delete Me, this episode's sponsor. Delete Me is a subscription service that will remove your personal information that's being sold online. If you've ever Googled your name, you'll notice tons of search results with your personal information being shared online. That's not okay. It's not okay for you. It's definitely not okay for your family, including your parents. Now, delete me will remove it all, your name, address, phone number, all of it. It automatically works in the background to scan and delete your personal information from over 30 data brokers, but they'll do custom requests on over 580 data brokers total. The thing is, identity theft is a real issue. An estimated 15 million Americans had their identity stolen in 2021. We've had a number of people on this very show who were victims of identity theft, And often it put them into tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt and it ruined their credit. That's why I find Delete Me so valuable. It's a service that I personally use and I love it. They reviewed over 4,600 listings for me and removed dozens of pieces of personal information. I knew it would be important to protect my parents too, but I also knew that they probably wouldn't sign up themselves. So I just got it for them. So if generosity is one of your money dials, great. If you care about your parents at all, if you have ever given them a hug, just sign them up. You know they aren't going to do it for themselves, but you also know that they probably need it. So if you want to get your personal information and the personal information of your loved ones removed from search results on the web, go to joindeleteme.com remit for 20% off a plan for you or your entire family. That's joindeleteme.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T, for 20% off. No, this is somebody else. And that's exactly right. You're not here to justify. You'll notice that you will have these interesting verbal ticks. You will say things like, we can talk about it later. No, we can't. Oh, if things change, we can always relook at it. No, this is my decision. These are verbal ticks that allow you to get out of it, but they actually do you no favors. Once you get really confident with yourself, you're already confident at work with the amount of money you earn. You must be good at your job. But having these discussions is totally different. It's like putting on training wheels for the first time. I will tell you that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, because as I started to make these decisions more and more, first, I got more confident in my own decision-making. In this culture, the world wants you to obey, but the minute you do, they don't respect you. However, when you chart your own path, they respect you. And that takes years to get to, but I have total confidence that
2: you can get there. That's very powerful. Thank you very much. You think you could do it? Yeah, I think I can do it. And honestly, it's encouraging hearing this too, because thinking of it as a marathon, like you said, and working my way up to it, becoming better at these sorts of things would honestly put me in a much better headspace.
0: It's going to be really difficult. It's funny. The hardest conversations you're ever going to have are going to be about $10 here or $20 there. Why? Because you are fundamentally redefining the relationship. I really love this conversation with Barry and Maria because from the listener's perspective, it was really obvious what was going on. These cultural scripts are deep and they're red flags to us. But if you turn that around and you look in the mirror and say, what invisible scripts did I grow up with? What are the cultural beliefs that I grew up with? Then it gets a lot harder, doesn't it? It's easy to critique somebody else, much harder to get intellectually curious about ourselves. Now you may have heard me say, a rich life is lived outside the spreadsheet. And usually when I talk about that, I'm referring to the fact that once you get your automation set up and you use my book and all the investing is going, turn the page. Think about what is meaningful to you. Do you want to travel or eat at nice restaurants, whatever the case may be? But you can also see that principle applying here. Barry did not need to fiddle around with his investments or earn $10,000 more. That was not going to change it. He actually had to get outside of the spreadsheet and have some very difficult conversations that redefine his relationship. It's easy to fiddle around with numbers and go into Microsoft Excel, but oftentimes that will not change anything. Living outside the spreadsheet means for better or for worse, for positive things like travel, but also for challenging opportunities like redefining your relationship with the people around you. I wanna give one last shout out to Maria on this conversation. Maria was an example, in my opinion, of a great supportive partner. And I also want to commend Barry. Barry realized that in a relationship, you know, it's often the case that we may want to defer something or talk about something together with our partner. What Barry realized was that this one is on him. He's got to take the lead on this and he has to redefine his relationship. That's why I enjoyed this episode and I'm looking forward seeing you next time. Here's what you'll find next week on the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast.
1: I don't care about the numbers if I want to visit my family or if it's Andres' mother's birthday. I know that we have the money and it's priceless to visit our, our family. It frustrates me a lot because given the current circumstances that we are in,
0: the only one of the two of us that is able to pay for these kind of things is myself. So it's challenging when the discussion ends on uh, emotional things, it's difficult to respond. For example, you don't want the best for
1: our child and it is not true.